Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, guys and ghouls. Welcome to the first and premiere episode of Chills. Chills is a horror podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating and alluring world of horror, mystery, and macabre. Here, the occasional colleague and I will narrate horror stories, discuss sinister, unsolved mysteries in the world, and absolutely horrify any listener who may still be tuned in. I will be your guide on our delightful journey into the abyss, but stay close. You don't want to get lost now. Today, we take the first steps of our wonderful new journey together with one of the most famous horror stories of the internet. Now, imagine in your minds for a moment the world of science. Scientists are always trying to push the limits of human knowledge and power as they walk down the path of discovery. But what happens when they trip over their shoelaces? Our first story begins in the cautionary days of the 1940s and tells the tale of what happened when a group of Russian experimenters attempted to keep a group of subjects awake through the use of a new experimental gas. What followed was the polar opposite of what they foresaw in their dreams. In fact, they couldn't possibly have seen the results coming. Not even in their nightmares. So kick back, relax, and enjoy the Russian sleep experiment. Russian researchers in the late 1940s kept five people awake for 15 days using an experimental gas-based stimulant. They were kept in a sealed environment to carefully monitor their oxygen intake so the gas didn't kill them, as it was toxic in high concentrations. This was before closed-circuit cameras, so they had only microphones and 5-inch thick glass porthole-sized windows into the chamber to monitor them. The chamber was stocked with books, cots to sleep on but no bedding, running water and toilet, and enough dried food to last all five for over a month. The test subjects being used at the time were political prisoners deemed enemies of the state during World War II. Everything was fine for the first five days. The subjects hardly complained, having been promised, falsely, they would be freed if they submitted to the test and did not sleep for 30 days. Their conversations and activities were monitored, and it was noted that they continued to talk about increasingly traumatic incidents in their past, and the general tone of their conversations took on a darker aspect after the four-day mark. After five days, they started to complain about the circumstances and events that led them to where they were, and some even started to demonstrate severe paranoia. They stopped talking to each other, and began alternately whispering to the microphones at one-way mirrored portholes. Oddly, they all seemed to think that they could win the trust of their experimenters by simply turning over their comrades, that is, the other subjects in captivity with them. At first, the researchers suspected this was an effect of the gas itself. After nine days, the first of them started screaming. He ran the length of the chamber, repeatedly yelling at the top of his lungs for three hours straight. He continued attempting to scream, but was only able to produce occasional squeaks. The researchers postulated that he had physically torn his vocal cords. The most surprising thing about this behavior is how the other captives reacted to it. Or rather, they didn't react to it. They continued whispering to the microphones until the second of the captives started to scream. The two non-screaming captives took the books apart smeared page after page with their own feces and pasted them calmly over the glass portholes. The screaming promptly stopped. 
as did the whispering to the microphones. After three more days passed, the researchers checked the microphones hourly to make sure they were working, as they thought it was impossible that no sound could be coming with five people inside. The oxygen consumption in the chamber indicated that all five must still be alive. In fact, it was the amount of oxygen five people would consume at a very heavy level of strenuous exercise. On the morning of the 14th day, the researchers did something they knew would get a reaction from the captives. They used the intercom inside the chamber, hoping to provoke any response from the captives they were afraid were either dead or vegetables. surprise, they only heard a single phrase in a calm voice respond. We no longer want to be free. Debate immediately broke out among the researchers and the military forces funding the research. Unable to provoke any more response using the intercom, it was finally decided to open the chamber at midnight on the 15th day. The chamber was flushed of the gas and filled with fresh air. Immediately, voices from the microphones began to object. Three different voices began begging, as if pleading for the life of loved ones, to turn the gas back on. The chamber was open and soldiers were sent in to retrieve the test subjects. However, when they did, the subjects began to scream louder than ever, as did the soldiers when they saw what was waiting for them inside. Four of the five subjects were still alive. However, the soldiers described the subjects as being anything but alive. The food rations from the past five days had not been so much as touched. There were chunks of meat from the dead test subjects' thighs and chest, stuffed into the drain in the center of the chamber blocking the drain and allowing four inches of water to accumulate on the floor. Precisely how much of the water on the floor was actually blood was never determined. All four surviving test subjects also had large portions of muscle and skin torn away from their bodies. The destruction of flesh and exposed bone on their fingertips indicated that the wounds were inflicted by hand, not with teeth as the researchers initially thought. Closer examination of the position and angles of the wounds indicated that most, if not all of them, were self-inflicted. Most of the soldiers were Russian special operatives at the facility, but still, many refused to return to the chamber to remove the test subjects. They continued to scream to be left in the chamber and alternately begged and demanded the gas be turned back on, lest they fall asleep. To everyone's surprise, the test subjects put up a fierce fight in the process of being removed from the chamber. One of the Russian soldiers died from having his throat ripped out. Another was gravely injured by having part of his face ripped off and an artery in his leg severed by one of the subject's teeth. Another five of the soldiers lost their lives if you count ones that committed suicide in the weeks following the incident. 
In the struggle, one of the four living subjects had his spleen ruptured, and he bled out almost immediately. In the struggle, one of the four living subjects had his spleen ruptured and he bled out almost immediately. The medical researchers attempted to sedate him, but this proved impossible. He was injected with more than ten times the human dose of a morphine derivative and still fought like a cornered animal, breaking the ribs and arm of a doctor. Surprisingly, his heart was seen to beat for a full two minutes after he had bled out to the point that there was more air in his vascular system than there was blood. Even after it stopped, he continued to scream and flail for another three minutes straight, struggling to attack anyone in reach, and simply repeating the word, more, over and over, weaker and weaker, until he finally fell silent. The surviving three test subjects were heavily restrained and moved to a medical facility. The two with intact vocal cords continuously begging for the gas demanding to be kept awake. The most injured of the three was taken to the only surgical operating room that the hospital had. In the process of preparing the subject to have his organs placed back within his body, it was found that he was effectively immune to the sedative they had given him to prepare. He fought furiously against his restraints when the anesthetic gas was brought out to put him under. He managed to tear most of the way through a four-inch wide leather strap on one wrist even through the weight of a 200-pound soldier holding that wrist as well. It took only a little more anesthetic than normal to put him under, and the instant his eyelids fluttered and closed, his heart stopped beating. In the autopsy of the test subject that died on the operating table, it was found that his blood had tripled the normal level of oxygen. His muscles that were still attached to his skeleton were badly torn, and he had broken nine bones in his struggle not to be subdued. Most of them were from the force his own muscles had exerted on them. The second survivor had been the first of the group of five to start screaming. His vocal cords destroyed, he was unable to beg or object to surgery, and he only reacted by shaking his head violently in disapproval when the anesthetic gas was brought near him. Although he did shake his head yes when someone suggested, reluctantly, they try the surgery without anesthetic. Higher six-hour procedure of replacing his abdominal organs. He did not react whatsoever. The surgeon presiding stated repeatedly that it should be medically impossible for the patient to still be alive. One terrifying nurse assisting the surgery stated that she had seen the patient's mouth curl into a smile several times whenever his eyes met hers. When the surgery ended, the subject looked at the surgeon and began to wheeze loudly, attempting to talk while struggling. Assuming this must be something of dramatic importance, the surgeon had a pen and pad fetched so the patient could write his message. It was a fairly simple message. It simply read, Keep cutting. The other two test subjects were given the same surgery, both without anesthetic as well although they had to be injected with a paralytic for the duration of the operation. The surgeon found it impossible to perform the operations, as, during the entirety of them, the patients were laughing continuously. Once paralyzed, the subjects could only follow the attending researchers with their eyes. 
The paralytic cleared their system in an abnormally short period of time, and they were soon trying to escape their bonds. The moment they could speak, they were again asking for the stimulant gas. The researchers tried asking why they had injured themselves, why they had ripped out their own guts, and why they wanted to be given the gas again. Only one response was given. I must remain awake. All three subjects' restraints were reinforced and they were placed back into the chamber, awaiting determination as to what should be done with them. The researchers, facing the wrath of their military benefactors for having failed the stated goals of their project, considered euthanizing the surviving subjects. The commanding officer, an ex-KGB, saw potential in the subjects and wanted to see what would happen if they were put back on the gas. Researchers strongly objected, but were overruled. In preparation for being sealed in the chamber again, the subjects were connected to an EEG monitor and had their restraints padded for long-term confinement. To everyone's surprise, all three stopped struggling the moment it was let slip that they were going to be put back on the gas. It was obvious that at this point, all three were putting up a great struggle to stay awake. One of the subjects that could speak was humming loudly and continuously. The mute subject was straining his legs against the leather bonds with all his might. First left, then right, then left again, then right, just for something to focus on. The remaining subject was holding his head off his pillow and blinking rapidly. Having been the first to be wired for EEG, most of the researchers were monitoring his brain waves in surprise. They were normal most of the time, but sometimes flatlined inexplicably. It looked as if he was repeatedly suffering brain death before returning to normal again. As they focused on paper scrolling out of the brainwave monitor, only one nurse saw his eyes slip shut. At the same moment, his head hit the pillow. His brainwaves immediately changed to that of deep sleep, and then he flatlined for the last time as his heart simultaneously stopped. The only remaining subject that could speak started screaming to be sealed in now. His brain waves showed the same flat lines as one who had just died from falling asleep. The commander gave the order to seal the chamber with both subjects inside, as well as the three researchers. One of the named three immediately drew his gun and shot the commander point-blank between the eyes. Then, he turned the gun on the mute subject and blew his brains out as well. He pointed his gun at the remaining subject, still restrained to a bed as the remaining members of the medical and research team fled the room. I won't be locked in here with these things. Not with you. He screamed at the man strapped to the table. What are you? He demanded. I must know. The subject smiled. Have you forgotten so easily? We are you. We are the madness that lurks within you all, begging to be free at every moment in your deepest, darkest animal mind. We are what you hide from in your beds every night. We are what you sedate into silence and paralysis when you go to the nocturnal haven where we cannot tread. We are the evil that lives within all of us.
The researcher paused, then aimed at the subject's head and fired. The EEG flatlined as the subject weakly choked out. My, my, what a story that one was. It's almost enough to make me want to go take a nap. Thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in. If you like what you hear, stay tuned for next week's episode. I hope you all enjoyed strolling into the abyss with me for the first time, and I'm sad to say our time for this week is up. But fret not, dear listeners, I'll be back before you know it. For now, I thank you and bid you all adieu. See you soon. Theme music for Chills is provided by Lucas King Piano, and it is a piece of his titled Hate. If you like his work, please show him some love on YouTube and Patreon. If you are interested in supporting this podcast, you can help us out by becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash theheraldofhorror. That's theheraldofhorror, one word. Support for Chills at the moment comes from loving friends and family. That's all for this week. I'm your host, Carson Smith, and thank you for listening. Goodbye and good night to all.